97.1 FM Talk Podcast. This hour of the Mark Reardon Show is sponsored by Gamma Tree Experts. Your trees deserve the best care. Call Gamma Tree Experts. The owners of this country know the truth. It's called the American dream because you have to be asleep to believe it. I'll lead an effective strategy to mobilize true international depression. Mark Reardon. So in the words of my late friend Aretha Franklin, show some R-E-S-P-I-C-T. This is the Mark Reardon Show. Welcome to the Mark Reardon Show. Brad Young sitting in for Mark today. Uh, he should be uh, back in the saddle soon. So thanks for sticking around with us this afternoon. Happy Thanksgiving to all of you. Happy Thanksgiving to Sue Thomas. Thank you, Brad. You too. And uh, and and Abby Hobold is running the flying the plane today. Thank you, Abby. Of course, thank you. And speaking of Abby's, I do need to mention that today there's a a job sharing. Uh, what we've got is a job sharing person here. And uh, my paralegal at my at my law firm, Harris Dow Fisher and Young, uh, my paralegal's daughter is actually in today a uh, job shadowing. Hello, Abby. Hello. Uh oh, is she? Is her mic turned on? I think it is. Try that again. Hello. There you go. Oh, I love it. So, what was it? I just want to before we go any further. I just want to clarify when you were talking about this with your mom. Your mom said that I think that I'm what? Funny. You think you're funny. Oh, shit. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. And I think the emphasis is on the word think, right? Yep. I would say that. that. He thinks he's funny. Yes. (laughs) Okay. So, and at this point, you've you've not reached any conclusions on that. As a jury member, you've not reached any conclusions on that one way or the other yet, have you? Um, I think she's right. Don't put her in that spot. Well, (laughs) I mean, come on. I think think we all know that that is true. That that I think I'm funny or that I'm actually funny? Well, you think you're funny. Sometimes you're you're actually funny. But mostly you think it. Rarely. Rarely. I know. Actually, it's... uh, it's dad humor. You know? It is, and, which is its own uh, category. It is. And within that, then yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> within the category yes. of dad humor, which is at the, was one of the lowest forms of humor. Well, not um, necessarily. But, it just, uh, you know. But, but, yeah, I guess toilet humor is the lowest form. But, yeah. But uh, speaking of Thanksgiving, uh, I want to get an update, Sue, because uh, you heard from our own Fred Bottenheimer, haven't you? Fred well, Bottenheimer over there, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, Abby. Yes, Fred has gone to New York City with his wife. It was on her bucket list to oh. watch the Macy's Day Thanksgiving Day Parade yes. in person. So they have gone, and I uh, said, Fred, would you please send me pictures along the way? And the first picture he sent mm-hmm. was him in Forest Park. And in the spot where they did the snowball fight in Elf. In, in Central Park. I'm sorry. Did I say Forest Park? Yeah, you yeah. did. That's fine. But we all Central, Central Park, Park. In, uh, in Elf. And then he the sent me. The snowball fight from Elf. What a classic scene. Exactly. And then he sent me a picture of them blowing up. I don't think Fred is blowing them up. I just mean whomever they is. Blowing up a minion for the, uh, uh, mm. the parade tomorrow. So some of the balloons. I love it. Oh, that would be so fun. That would be so fun. And, and Sue, there, I saw that there was, a, and I don't know who's having this contest, but they're having a, uh, a balloon contest to see what's the most favorite balloon. Oh, and I think okay. now it's down between uh, Snoopy and, but to me, as soon as you said Snoopy and, 
isn't it just Snoopy is well, the best? I guess. I mean, who's the other one? Well, oh, was this, uh, let me it go was, look uh, it up. Yeah, there was the uh, the Marshmallow Man. Oh, is this the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man? Well, I would kind of go for him. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Uh, I forgot. Yeah, look that up and see who that's between, because I think that's uh, that's breaking news. Uh, what what should Macy's balloon contest? contest. Okay, yep. that's what you do. You you uh, you look that up and and get back to us on that. Uh, in the in the meantime, of course, uh, Thanksgiving is coming up, and I, I came up with a list of ten ways. Unless Sue's got that handy, but do you, you have that handy there, Sue? Yeah, okay. I do. Go ahead. Well. Oh, sorry. Now they're giving me a commercial. But here's what it was. We had Hello Kitty versus Papa Smurf. Mm-hmm. And Papa Smurf made it through that bracket. It's a bracket it's like a bracket. the NCAA. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Uh, Power Ranger versus Mario. And um, Papa Smurf has won that entire category. So it's Papa Smurf <laughs> versus Snoopy. Papa Smurf versus mm-hmm. Snoop- Snoopy. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go around the room here. Sue, what would you, how would you vote in this critically important contest? Oh, of these? I don't really... I'm going to go Snoopy. Going to go Snoopy. Yeah. Okay. I'm not uh, a Smurfs person. Abby, what do you say? I'm also going to say Snoopy. Snoopy. And I'm going to pick on Abby Smith here. What do you think? Also Snoopy. Yeah, See, it's unanimous. It's a good choice. It's unanimous. All four here. And by the way, this in this room right now, it makes me feel very much... Like I'm at home as the father of three daughters. Uh, even my dog is female at home. So this feel I have. Oh, by the way, all my siblings, sisters. So this feels you very feel good. I'm feel good. Yeah. I do the backstroke in estrogen. So I feel very comfortable here today. You see, that was one of them. Did you oh, see that? was it? Yeah. I just kind of slipped that in there. And <laughs> no one laughed. So, which, which is actually fine. I'm accustomed to, to hearing <laughs> no one laugh and it doesn't bother me. It doesn't bother me at all. Uh, but if you are striving, if you're striving uh, to make your your Thanksgiving Day, you know, more authentic, because that's what we look for today. We want to have a more authentic Thanksgiving. And so I did come up with 10 ways to make this more authentic. And already, I just saw Sue Thomas roll her eyes. No, uh, but, I didn't. <laughs> and, oh, here's another example. Brad thinks he's going to be funny. Oh, dear. But here's, there's, if you want to have an authentic Thanksgiving, like, for example, you just wait for half of your relatives to die in the harsh winter before you celebrate. That would be authentic. <sighs> okay. Okay, all What's right. number nine? Uh, number, <laughs> number nine uh, would be uh, invite your famous Native American friend, Elizabeth Warren, to bring you a deer. Uh, because that's she, kind of funny. That now that is funny, yeah, right? Come on. Okay, that that's is kind good. of funny. Um, you can, and I would never, I would never advocate this, but you can make women do all of the cooking over an open hearth. Now, I wouldn't do that because I'm an enlightened male, and so I wouldn't do that. No, you would just put it in the list. It, well, yeah, sure. I put it in the list in order to say how awful, terrible, and reprehensible <laughs> that is. Sure, that's the only reason that I put it on the list. Sure. Uh, you could also ask your least liked uncle to deliver a three-hour Puritan sermon before eating, uh, which actually might be more interesting than hearing his political rants. Hmm. Um, I'm going to skip most of these that I came up with, but here's— <laughs> What's number one? <laughs> Here we go. Um, but my number one would be to have your Thanksgiving meal with the heat and the electricity turned off in the house. Oof. Uh, because that would be authentic. That's true. That would be authentic. And at least your relatives at that point wouldn't mind sitting closer together. There you go. They would. So, uh, and I'll, I'll skip the rest of those. 
But <laughs> it would make it more authentic, would it not? It would. It would indeed. Uh, speaking of Thanksgiving, what is, what's the traditional idea? So we're talking about traditions. What have we been taught that the first Thanksgiving was like? Any idea? What's your, what's the input here? Uh, let's see. Indians and pilgrims yep. around a table. And, uh, you know, stuff that they've each grown, and that's what they dined upon. Mm -hmm. Well, what's interesting is John Stossel, who's a very prolific uh, libertarian, Mm -hmm. used to be on ABC Mm -hmm. News. He's now with the mustache. With the mustache. He's got a very good mustache. Uh, He has written extensively about this that when the pilgrims came over from England, that their mentality was more, I'm not going to use the term socialism, but it was very communal, that everything is done, is shared, all the work is shared, all the reaping of the benefits were all shared, and there was no real private property. Everything was very communal. Oh, okay. And and after the first winter, though, the, the pilgrims almost died. Sure. Okay. Uh, and I was making the joke earlier about, uh, one of the things on my list was if you wanted to have a traditional Thanksgiving, just lose a couple of fingers to frostbite. And and that really was like that first Thanksgiving. In fact, uh, as John Stossel notes that the pilgrim leader, William Bradford, he wrote this in his diary. Our food stores are used up. People have grown weak and thin. Some are swelling with hunger. So they started thinking about how can we do something different? How can we do it better? Because if we don't change what we're doing. In other right. words, if you, if you continue to do what you're doing, you're going to get the same result, right? So let's do something different. He, this was his answer, and I wish this was taught more in schools. His answer was that they divided the property into parcels, and then they assigned each individual parcel to a family. And they said, this is your parcel. You grow this food for your family, not rely on your friends and buddies. Makes sense. But make it private. Make it make there be a connection between the work that you perform and the benefits that you receive. Capitalism. Ta-da. Ta-da. And that's when the very next year, that's when they started having uh, a, a bountiful crop interesting. That's interesting. that they could share with the Native Americans. Okay. In fact, a question. A question. Didn't everybody own their own property back in England and wherever they came from? And, well, there uh, was private I mean, property, but private property in England was only uh, only for those who were in the upper tier economic class. So only the wealthy had only their the own wealthy prop- had their own property. And everybody else was in the communal situation. So this was news to them, right? Wow, this that's news interesting. To them. Very and interesting. And so here's what. And this is not just John Stossel or me making this up. In fact. In the William Bradford's diary, after he describes this process where they started dividing up the property and making each each individual family responsible for their own food production, here's what William Bradford writes, and I'm quoting, This had very good success. It made all hands very industrious. Mm -hmm. So as much more corn was planted than otherwise would have been by the time the harvest came instead of famine, now God gave them plenty. And the face of things was changed, and the rejoicing of the hearts of many, unquote. That's directly from his diary. That's great. Have you ever heard that in school? No. Never. Uh, 
Abby, you're a junior in high school. Have you ever heard that story? I have not. You've not heard that it's story. Very interesting. So uh, I, I wish that were taught in schools yeah. because so much in academia today here, here. Is, is, is pushing this idea that socialism is good, that, uh, that uh, we're all groups, not individuals, that private property is evil. We hear the, the Marxism influence and the anti-capitalism. And yet here, even from the literally before the founding of our country, right. we see an example where, once again, socialism fails and capitalism and private property prospers. Yep. That's really nice to know. It is. And I, I just wish, I wish that kind of thing were taught in schools instead of this, uh, this Marxism gibberish that is so plentiful today. Um, and, and, and it makes sense. It really makes sense that once you incentivize people to say, if, if you, you don't want to it. live, you got to right. work. That's right. Right? Because if you're just waiting on everyone else to provide, uh, not much is going to happen. Not much is going to happen. Uh, that's like you know, trying to get, when, when, my, when my kids were a lot younger, trying to get them to do anything was literally just a waste of time. No, it's just never going to happen. But if you said, okay, listen, uh, you don't work, you don't eat, it's amazing how that would <laughs> get them off the couch and off their phones to actually do some work. Yes. So once again, uh, the actual experience of capitalism prevails, uh, and it is literally in the DNA, it literally in the DNA of our country. Hey, we've got a lot more here on the Mark Reardon Show. Brad Young sitting in today. Glad you are sticking around here on the St. Louis Home for Conservative Talk, 97.1. FM Talk. Welcome back to the Mark Reardon Show. Brad Young sitting in today. And you know, we've heard that at least for the last few years, the, the Pentagon has become more and more woke. But what does that mean for the readiness of our military? So joining us this afternoon is Mike Gonzalez, Senior Fellow at the Heritage Foundation. Hey, Mike, thanks for joining us this afternoon on 97.1 FM Talk. Hey, Brad. Uh, happy Thanksgiving. And to uh, you, too, to sir. And to the people of Missouri, St. Louis area. I love your state. And, uh, yeah, no, it's a real big problem. The whole woke thing, it's a real big problem across the board in the military, in the houses of worship, in the schools, mm -hmm. on the factory floor, in the, in the office. Uh, even the sports leagues are suffused with this wokeness. You saw the England team take a knee. Uh, at the World Cup in, in Dakar, of all places, uh, Qatar. Sorry, in Qatar. So I, I, I think it's it's something that it, that it, it's it's all around us, and 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 we're seeing now as we speak. I'm typing about I'm, I'm tweeting about Thanksgiving. People are just trying to to practice cultural genocide, and the, the attacks of Thanksgiving are part of that. It certainly is. Uh, the reason why I wanted to talk to you, Mike, is that. Senator Marco Rubio of Florida and Congressman Chip Roy of Texas, they issued a report this week detailing really how the Pentagon has prioritized promoting critical race theory, progressive gender ideology, and even more by really using taxpayer dollars. So give us some examples of how the Pentagon is using our, our tax dollars for promoting this ideology. Well, they did it in West Point. They have classes there that uh, the way they 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 they're reading a list include Ibram X. Kennedy, 
uh, and Robin DiAngelo. And, and these are not the architects of critical race theory, but the retailers, modern retailers of critical race theory. The same thing in the Navy. Uh, I, we, you know, I helped uh, members of Congress write a letter to Admiral Gilday uh, to tell them to get this, to get this bad stuff off the reading list at the uh, Naval Academy. Uh, and it, and it's you, you just hear it more and more. I think it's affecting recruitment. Um, you know, the, the 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 military should not be taught about microaggressions. They should be taught about macroaggressions, as in war. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's a great point. And some of the other things that they're teaching, uh, particularly with regard to critical race theory, which really sets up uh, white males as aggressors and oppressors and all other groups as being uh, those who have been held down. And even though this may have happened 200 years ago, it's teaching this now. But to me, it seems like focusing on what is different among us rather than on focusing on what unites us. How does that serve to foster division and discontent among, among the military members that protect our country? Exactly. I mean, that's the thing, right? So, so when you when you when you you know you, when you go in the military, you take an oath to defend the Constitution against enemies, foreign and domestic. And if what you have is people telling you the Constitution is is a bad thing, is a bad document. The, the, the Constitution introduced uh, white supremacy in this country, which critical race theory uh, teaches. Uh, so, so, so why would they? Why would these good men and women lay their lives out on the line for a document hmm. that they're being taught is a bad document, yes. a, a document that introduces all of our ills? Uh, we don't have we don't have a monarch in this country, right? We don't in England. You 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 the, the, the soldiers die for for king and country. We don't die for king and country. We die for the constitution. And if they teach you the constitution is an evil thing. That collapses America. It, it does, and you're you're familiar with the term esprit de corps, aren't you, Mike? Of course, yeah. Of, and that, of course, that's, that's one of the first things. And, and, and actually, thank you for saying that, because when you go in there, you're a leatherneck, you're whatever. You know, you they try to they, they cut your hair so you look just like everyone else, and you feel just like everyone else, and they're your brother, and you will die for your brother, right? You will die for your mm-hmm. brother. What this does is no, it it, it says no, no, no. See that guy of a different hue from you? That guy's your enemy. This is really super insidious. Yeah, because it sets up this idea that instead of China, instead of Russia, instead of whatever foreign country is your enemy, it's saying that the guy that you're serving with is your enemy. If he's your oppressor or if he's in a category and you're the oppressed, it's really uh, uh, taking the, the anger and the focus of the military of defeating an outside enemy, and it's focusing on fighting internal enemies. Right. Exactly. Uh, look, we're being besieged with this. this is, I, I said it before, and I'll say it again. This is an attempt at cultural genocide. Hmm. They want to destroy the culture of America. The, 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 the non-racial unifying culture of America that teaches that all men are created equal, that these are ideals, that we should aspire to them, that, that we're all Americans united for common purposes. That is what they're trying to destroy. Mm-hmm. And we have to be very clear-eyed about this. 
We're talking to Mike Gonzalez. He's a senior fellow at the Heritage Foundation. And another thing that occurred to me, Mike, is even something like chain of command. You know, what does chain of command mean within the military? And how if the chain of if your commanding officer is a different color than the than the uh, than the grunt Marines or the Leatherneck, as you said, how could that interrupt or actually interfere with the chain of command? Yes, exactly. Well, very good point. The chain of command, because since what they believe is in affinity groups, a a, 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 a term that is odious and we should fight against that idea of affinity. What affinity groups means is that you should be only with people of your own race, that you're only happy with people of your own race because they share your affinity. You know, that is not true. That is not the American ideal. No. You know, I, I don't know what your background is, but you and I have affinity between us. You know, we don't need to, to, to talk about what your last name is or my last name is, our nations of origin. You know, so, so when, you, when you start out and teaching these things, the chain of command breaks down. And the guy next to you, you know, you don't you look at him and say, well, this guy's my oppressor. This guy did not just oppress, you know, his, his great-great-great-great-grandfather didn't just oppress my great-great-great-grandfather. He's, he's, he's now oppressing me as well. Hmm. Uh, this is meant to disrupt the country. Yeah, it, it is. And unfortunately, it's succeeding. Uh, in this letter I referenced from Senator Marco Rubio from Florida, he says this, and I'm quoting, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff defended teaching critical race theory at U.S. service academies and testified yes. to Congress about his desire to understand white rage. He argued that the American taxpayer money should be spent to ensure cadets and midshipmen learn what caused thousands of people to assault the Capitol building and try to overturn the Constitution of the United States, unquote. Now, Mike Gonzalez, that statement is so wrong on so many levels. But objectively, uh, the, the military would have no involvement in a domestic issue at the Capitol anyway by virtue of the Posse Comitatus Act. Yeah, this is General Milley, who is super woke, who, who never resigned after the, the Afghan disaster. They, 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 they complete, we, we ran out of adjectives to describe what an embarrassment the withdrawal from Afghanistan was. Not a single general resigned over this. Uh, you know, and I'm tired of hearing, well, you know, uh, they just wait until the crisis passes over. And No, nobody resigned. No, nobody. In, in, general, in general, Milley, he, when he said, I remember this very well, actually, it was about a year and a half, when he said, I'm a white guy and I want to understand white rage, he has no idea that white rage is actually a thing. The white rage is is is, is a, the, 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 a product of some uh, I forget what what her name is I think she's a Duke of a critical legal, uh, critical uh, race theory professor who who has who who describes what white rage is and in and, and how it means that the, the things that white people do are supposed to are done to keep their power are done to keep their wealth when he's saying I want to understand this no this thing it doesn't exist. This thing is just created by another nutty professor of, from the left who's a communist, a Marxist at least, who's trying to, dis, to, 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 to unravel the United States. Well, you used a great term earlier, and of course we're talking to Mike Gonzalez, senior fellow at the Heritage Foundation. You used a great term a few moments ago, and that is cultural genocide. And that, that phrase you used has been resonating in my mind for the last few minutes, particularly when... Uh, one of uh, the Air Force Academy slide presentations was teaching against using the term mom and dad, that that was wrong to use the term mom and dad or mother and father. But that's all part 
of not only the cultural genocide, but isn't it also part of just indoctrinating troops to a specific philosophy that's really counterproductive to what the military is called to do? You know, David Horowitz, who was a Marxist in the 60s and then Hmm. uh, realized that that they were really cruel and and bloodthirsty and then he left Marxism, he always used to say the issue is never the issue. The issue is the revolution. And, and, and so one thing that they realized right away, Marxists did, it started with Marx. He said the family needed to be abolished. By the way, that's in the, in the Communist Manifesto itself mm-hmm. of 1848, where Marx writes with Friedrich Engels, the family must be abolished. All of them, for the last 170 years, have been saying the family must be abolished. Some of them, for example, George Lukacs, a Hungarian uh, depraved evil person uh, who was cultural minister in Hungary in 1919, thought that the way to do it was by teaching children sexual depravity, by, by teaching, by, by using the urge of sex to destroy the family. And once you destroy the family, we thought that the family holds society down, right? It's not really individuals. Our, our, our rights are individuals. We are, you know, our natural rights are individual. Our, our salvation is individuals between you and, is between you and your God. But the family is the unit, not the individual. The family is the unit mm-hmm. that holds down society. You destroy the family, you destroy you destroy society, you destroy the culture, you destroy the country. Hmm. And we see that still going on today. And, and it seems to me like whenever we look right now uh, at Russia's attempt to to really expand its influence, become a new Soviet Union. We look at China's expansive military. China wants to be the dominant actor in the entire uh, Asian area at the exclusion of our allies, such as Taiwan, Japan, uh, even Australia uh, to the south. And we look at all this, and it just seems to me, Mike, that our military should be focusing more on thinking about how to counter Chinese aircraft carriers and less time thinking about which pronouns we should be using. Yeah, the, the Russian military and the Chinese military are not partaking in any of this nonsense, and they are literally laughing at us. The, the, Russia put out a, 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 satir- a satirical video about a month ago about all of our woke stuff, and it's – first of all, they, they understand this really well. It's a, a truly evil b- 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 a video, but, but it is in, the, in a sense true in the sense that we are doing this to ourselves. Russia is an adversary, does, it means there's no good, wants to, to do us harm. Mm-hmm. China, the same for China. We have to be very serious about these foreign threats rather than be trying to destroy ourselves from within. Hmm. That's a great point. And, and, and as I was looking into this more this week, Mike, and of course we're talking to Mike Gonzalez, senior fellow at the Heritage Foundation, uh, this entire so-called problem with systemic racism in the military it seems to me it's somewhat of a fiction because in December of 2021, not even a year ago, I read a report by the Pentagon's Countering Extremist Activity Working Group that found that cases of prohibited extremist activity among service members were rare. In fact, and I'm quoting here from the report, quote, in fact, in a force of more than 2.1 million active and reserve forces, there were only 100 cases of prohibited extremist activity, unquote. So when, when, when we see all these examples, Mike, of the military doing all of this woke training, isn't this really a solution in search of a problem? Yeah, no, we always used to joke in the old Soviet days that the demand for, white, for, the demand for right-wing violence always has strip supply. You know, that, <laughs> this, this, 
there's there's always this huge demand by the media and the leftists, but I, but I repeat myself in, in other institutions to show that actually you know the violence really comes from the right and and it's it's racially based. No, that's not true. You know, we, we saw what happened in 2020 with the BLM riots. I yes. wrote a book about no, it. No, no, those BLM were all peaceful protests, people. Mike. All those yeah, burning buildings were simply yeah. peaceful protests. Yeah, 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 exactly, yes. And I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm mostly happy right now in this conversation. <laughs> you know, yeah, look, I, I wrote a book on this, BLM, <laughs> The Making of a New Marxist Revolution. They, that, was an, that, was re, that was the insurrection. You know, I'm not, I'm not defending what happened on January 6th. I thought it no. was stomach, stomach churning. Exactly. But, but, but we had a sustained month after month after month, over 600 recorded riots, the, the costliest political instability in U.S. history, which led to a 30% spike in the homicide rate. Hmm. That was the BLM, the, you know, summer of hatred of 2020. Uh, that's the reality, not, not, the, not this other stuff. Exactly. And Mike Gonzalez... Uh, you're at the Heritage Foundation. I love the Heritage Foundation. In fact, one of the websites that I read every single day without exception is the thedailysignal.com. But where can people go online to follow you and what the Heritage Foundation writes about on this subject as well as many, many more subjects? Well, my, my book, BLM, The Making of a New Marxist Revolution, is on Amazon. Uh, it, it's selling well. Uh, Good. I'm very happy with it. I've been out for a year and a half. Uh, the, the, um, you can go to heritage.org. You can look me up on Twitter. Ad Gundisavas is my late, my last name in Latin, G-U-N-D-I-S-A-L-V-U-S, Ad Gundisalvas. Um, uh, I tweet a fair amount. I'll be, I'll be tweeting right now. Uh, I just retweeted you guys. Uh, but heritage.org really is where everything is. We, we, we're fighting every day for you. Mm. Thank you. And I'm glad that you're fighting the cultural wars, even while our military uh, should be fighting our adversaries, but they turn out to be fighting each other. Thanks so much for joining us afternoon here on 97.1 FM Talk. Happy Thanksgiving. Great. Happy Thanksgiving to you. And uh, his book would also make a fantastic Christmas gift, as Christmas is certainly around the corner. Hey, we've got more here on the Mark Reardon Show. Uh, don't go away. We'll be right back on St. Louis's home for conservative talk. 97.1 FM Talk. Sue, I've got a question. You're you're going to be, are you cooking a turkey for tomorrow? Yes, it is in the refrigerator currently brining. Okay, brine. Oh, that's great. So it'll be nice and moist, right? That's the plan. Now, here's the question. When you cook a turkey, does it ever, ever look like the turkeys you see in the commercials for like butterball turkeys or any other product? Does it ever look like the, the TV turkeys? Nothing ever looks like the TV turkeys. No. <laughs> It, it You know, it doesn't. It never looks like that. No. And, and it reminded me uh, because my wife used to be in advertising. She had an, she was in, uh, she had a 20-year advertising career. Oh, wow. For a couple different ad agencies. And she was at one ad agency. This was in the 90s. Uh, she was very new there. She was the youngest intern. So it comes up to Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. Actually, it was the time they were making the Thanksgiving commercials, which would have been in September. Sure. And her boss tells her. Carol, I need you to go cook a turkey for this TV, this shoot we're going to do for our grocery store. Oh, okay. So All we right. can show the turkeys, and here's the they're on sale. Wait, now, she wasn't a food stylist, right? She was not a food stylist. They were just saying, okay, it's cook up to you to do it. Exactly. Okay. So she comes home. We talk about it. She cooks a turkey. She takes it in the next day. Boss throws a fit. 
He said, this looks awful. And my wife said, I cooked a turkey. That's said, right. No, that's not the way you do turkeys for television. Well, how about you tell her first, you I, son of a gun? I know. He never told her. He just made the what? assumption. And how right? do they do it for television? That was amazing. So the television turkeys, and I know because I had to oversee this process in my own oven, was that you cook them only for 30 minutes. Just get the brown on top? Not even enough to get brown. Then you baste them with a with shoe polish. What? And bitters. Uh, and liquid smoke. You baste it with shoe polish. Right. And bitters. And liquid smoke. That is nuts. Now, to, how did he get, expect her to know that? <laughs> oh, I'm so mad on her behalf. I know, right? Because if you cook it, it busts out. It gets brown. Yeah. And stuff. It doesn't the look perfect. The thighs get darker than the breast or, meat or, or vice it, versa. Or they fall or off. Or the wings. are. Yeah, you're right. They do kind of tilt. They do tilt, yeah. and then stuff breaks. And it, you know, it doesn't look like when you see it on TV and, oh... It's perfect on television, right? Was she supposed to know she she's going to go get shoe polish to baste it? So after this basting with shoe polish, bitters, and liquid smoke, and then so you baste it with that, and then at the end you have to use, uh, uh, what was it, Dove soap? What? Because Dove sh- Dove soap is very shiny. shiny. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then after everything's done, after you've basted it and cooked it for thirty minutes. Because if you cook it any longer, it starts to break out in things, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then after it comes out of the oven and you let it cool, you have to smear it with Dove soap. Because oh then gosh. it's nice and shiny. So, and then you- <laughs> wow, that is disgusting. Question, how does semi-cooked uh, shoe polish smell? Yeah, not good. I was going to say that. The that just, oven did not smell good at all. Oh, that is nuts. It did. I it had no nasty. idea. That's so now when you're when you're sitting at home and you're watching those TV commercials with the lovely looking turkey, you can say, that's nasty stuff because shoe I know that's shoe polish, and bitters. bitters. And it's gross. And dove that soap. That is disgusting. I don't want dove soap on my, on my turkey. So the, then the very that very Thanksgiving... Because this would have been in September of that year. That very Thanksgiving, the day before Thanksgiving, I said, Carol, are you cooking a turkey for us or for work? <laughs> no kidding. Because if it's for work, I don't want to eat it. Well, she's not going to eat it anybody either. No. For, first of all, it's only been in the oven for 30 minutes. I know. Instead of like, what, 10 hours or it something Depends stupid. on the size, but yes. <laughs> oh, my gosh. 30, 30 minutes. Yeah, that was it. So, uh, yeah. So How? Those, those, those TV turkeys are not all that you think that they are. That um, is crazy. It is. That is funny. Uh, the other thing that I wanted to bring up that's funny, because, Sue, you are my favorite dog owner, because you are you have fantastic stories of the way mm. you love your dogs. Thank you. And and you were telling me that whenever you uh, get something, what was the Bark Box story you were telling oh, me yeah. off air? When I just had one bulldog, Lulu. There is a, a, a box that's available, and they call them Bark Boxes. And it's a website on which you can go, and you can pick out toys, and they send them per month. So I had the smallest package, which was maybe one chew toy, one treat. You know, but if you have multiple dogs, they'll send you two toys, two whatevers, and, you know, like that. And for holidays, they would do, you know, like a pumpkin theme, or they'll have spilled something they always take on a theme and run with it and they're kind of funny they're supposed to be like a like a joke on something or other right the reason why i asked you this is there's a this will be at the supreme court this term there's a case where a company has made 
Uh, It's called a parody. And we all have seen bottles of Jack Daniels. We know what that looks like. Mm-hmm. It's it's a it's a very distinctive looking bottle, and it says Jack Daniels in black and white lettering, and it says Old Number Seven Tennessee Whiskey. Well, someone has created a parody. It's a dog chew toy. It's not glass. I am not surprised. It's an entire chew toy, and on this chew toy, it's called instead of Jack Daniels, it's called. Bad Spaniels. <laughs> and it's in the exact same lettering as Jack Daniels. And instead of saying old number seven Tennessee whiskey, it says the old number two on your Tennessee carpet. <laughs> and uh, and so. Which this, is kind of funny. It's kind of funny. On the back, it says not affiliated with Jack Daniels in any oh, way. Oh, sure. And Jack Daniels has sued the maker of this dog chew toy. Okay. Now, you showed me a picture of this dog toy. I, here's what. Why? Why would they worry about it? Isn't it kind of uh, any publicity is better than none? You would think, but their attitude is is that you are making money off of our product ah, image. Okay, I and see. so therefore, since you, the you whole should give purpose, me some money. you got to give me some money. Okay, right? so they're not trying to say you can't make it anymore. They're trying to say give us a cut. Yeah, because your okay. your product is based on the joke, okay. and they have to know what our product looks like to True. get the joke. But legally, that's wrong. Legally is. And this is why this is going to the Supreme Court, because legally, if a work of parody is its own uh, distinct artistic expression, even if it looks like something else, you get to make that artistic expression, which is why SNL gets to do parodies. So the question is, is it artistic expression? Yes. and the and Very all, funny. And all of those nine people at the Supreme Court are going to have to decide That's whether hilarious. Bad Spaniels is an independent <laughs> artistic expression. Uh, <laughs> I love it. Hey, we've got more coming up on the Mark Reardon Show. Don't go away. Stick around. 97.1 FM Talk. Get more at 971talk.com.